BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Of all the weapons of the social justice movement, cancellation is arguably the most potent and terrifying. Over the past several years, a growing number of people have found themselves in the crosshairs of digital mobs. Careers have been ruined, reputations lost, lives altered forever. So just what does it mean to be canceled? On this special edition of Hold the Line, we'll speak to several victims of the woke mob and hear their first-hand accounts of the consequences of cancel culture. Welcome to this special edition of Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. What does it mean to be canceled? Well, in our current terminology, in our parlance today, it's when the left, those who are social justice aware, perhaps even obsessed, woke, decide that a person has transgressed the ever-evolving standards of what is acceptable in public or private life according to the woke. They get to dictate what words you can use, what art is acceptable, what political speech, what movies, what comic books. We'll actually get to that later on in the show. And what they then do is push for a person to lose their job, to be kicked out of a community of creatives, uh, kicked out of whether it's the film industry, uh, literary uh, circles, whatever it may be, they are pushed out. They are ostracized. Even sometimes people that had been in long-standing good stead with that group will all of a sudden see their career dashed, their lives often ruined. Now, how do you avoid cancellation? Bend the knee. Bend the knee. Is that enough, though? Is it enough if you tell the left, I'll do whatever you say, I'll only put forward the artwork, or the, the ideas, I'll only create that which you say is acceptable? to create. No, sometimes the woke mob will even come for those who try to play by the rules because ultimately it's not about making this a better country, a better society. It's about power. It's about those who have an authoritarian mindset and who believe the brainwashing of the Marxist left in this country, which is currently obsessed with a form of racial Marxism instead of the class warfare that had defined Marxism in the past. They believe all of this. They believe critical race theory. They believe radical feminism. And they are seeking targets to dominate the culture. That's the whole point. By attacking and destroying those who get in the way or even just are a useful example to all the rest, they feel as though the ideas they represent and support get stronger. And so if that means that there have to be people who lose their livelihoods, if it means that there will be individuals who are kicked off of social media platforms entirely. We'll be speaking to one of those, a congressional candidate who's not even allowed on social media like Facebook or Twitter, banned forever for life, like they did to our former president, Donald Trump. What are the rules about this? Where do you go to get your online reputation back? 
No one's figured that out yet. What happens when some of the tech giants combined with the media consensus left are wrong but have canceled you? What if they've lied about you? What if they, on an issue of supposed fact they made a mistake? Sorry, that's the cost. Cancellation means sometimes getting it wrong and they don't care because ultimately the most important thing is that they maintain the power to do this. The left-wing authoritarian mindset is now increasingly dominant in our culture because it seeks to eradicate anything that challenges it. It is an invasive species of the mind. It cannot coexist with creativity, with consensus breakers. It cannot coexist with those who think for themselves. And so there will always be these casualties of the cancellation fight, which we continue to see here, until the right recognizes that politics, as Andrew Breitbart famously said, is downstream of culture. Until there's a greater realization that dominance of cultural and creative institutions also means dominance of politics, and that cancellation is a weapon in that struggle, we'll continue to lose ground. But I'm hoping that specials and conversations like this one will at least raise enough awareness among conservatives to start to take action on this. All right, coming up, we're going to speak to a number of guests who know firsthand what it means to be canceled. We'll be joined momentarily by the self-described most canceled woman in the world, former congressional candidate Laura Loomer. She'll be in studio when we come back. The cancel culture mob comes for everyone, especially if you're in politics and on the right. My next guest knows that all too well. Laura Loomer, a conservative investigative journalist who ran for Congress in Florida, grew an enormous following after her viral confrontations with journalists and political figures. But since her agenda wasn't in line with that of big tech, she's since been banned from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, as well as PayPal, Venmo, and Uber. In her upcoming book, Loomered, she calls herself the most banned woman in the world. So how did she get here? Let's ask her right now. Laura Loomer, thanks for joining. Good to see you here in Good studio. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Where exactly have you been banned and what is the reason for your being banned? Why have so many places kicked you off their platforms? Well, the full list. <laughs> I've been banned from uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Uber, Uber Eats, Lyft, PayPal, Venmo. Uh, the list goes on and on, really. We'd be here all day if we were talking about all the places. Even Chase Bank uh, has uh, shut me down from online banking. Uh, but uh, as you said, I you know, grew an enormous following as an investigative journalist. I got started working for Project Veritas as an undercover um, investigator. And uh, when I created my own media company, I was actually the first to expose Ilhan Omar uh, for marrying her brother and uh, all of her Jew hatred and ties to Hamas and ISIS. And uh, I had posted a tweet uh, after she was elected to Congress where I called her anti-Jewish and pro-Sharia. And that is literally all I said that uh, resulted in me being deplatformed uh, pretty much everywhere. It was a domino effect. So. Well, like, why would Uber or Chase Bank care about what you tweeted? How, how, yeah. how did they decide that you were going to be deplatformed? Well, I was banned from Uber prior to getting banned from, from Twitter because there was a terrorist attack in New York City where an ISIS terrorist who was driving for Uber killed eight people on Halloween in 2017 in a bike lane. And uh, 
you know, the media just kind of brushed over the this fact. Is the low, on the lower, uh, yeah, on the west side this of Manhattan was, yeah, along the Hudson River. Exactly. exactly. And the media just brushed over the fact that he was working for Uber. And, you know, a month prior to that on Rosh Hashanah, I was in an Uber with my friend and uh, the guy was Muslim. And when he realized that we were Jewish, he, uh, you know, refused to complete the ride. And he was screaming at us while the vehicle was moving and kicked me out of a moving vehicle for being Jewish. And so I had filed a complaint and expressed concerns uh, to Uber, whose CEO is Muslim. And uh, I had said, you know, this is a public safety issue. And there's, you know, documented cases of Islamic immigrant drivers murdering passengers, assaulting passengers, raping passengers, and then they killed eight people in New York City. And I had tweeted that I didn't want to get in an Uber with another Islamic immigrant driver. And then they said that that was hate speech and banned me. So you received an official notice from Uber that you couldn't, and, and all these, I mean, there's so there's a lot of them. We're not, not even Uber, Uber and Lyft. And so Lyft banned me when Uber banned me. And I wasn't even in an Uber or a Lyft when I tweeted what I tweeted. I was in, the, in a, you know, New York City condo lobby. And uh, then after that, Uber Eats banned me because Uber Eats is owned by Uber. So, okay, so there's there's a lot going on here. When these companies decide that you are are banned, deplatformed, gone, canceled, whatever you want to call it, do they? Is there an appeals process that you could go through at these places? They and claim there is, but there really isn't an appeals process. And so when I was banned, there was no negotiation. And then uh, when I was banned by Facebook, not only did they just ban me, but they labeled me. It was actually a pretty high-profile case. They banned me and Alex Jones and Milo Yiannopoulos and Paul Joseph Watson and Louis Farrakhan at the same time. And they actually labeled us as domestic terrorists. And when they labeled us as dangerous individuals, their classification for a dangerous individual was somebody who was committing terrorist activity, somebody who was a human traffic trafficker or a serial killer. And so um, while they were um, banning so me... What was your terror? I mean, I used to work in counterterrorism. So right. what was allegedly your terrorist offense? I, I don't have one, but this is the problem with these big tech monopolists now is we're living in a technocracy and not only have the, have our uh, law enforcement agencies under the Biden administration been weaponized against conservatives, but big tech has become so powerful that they're influencing and interfering in our elections and they're acting like the DOJ and defaming private citizens and journalists and falsely labeling them as terrorists for their conservative opinions while they allow for ISIS and Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood and other terrorist organizations like Antifa and BLM to have uh, you know, full, full Twitter and social media access. So why are they going after you? I mean, you mentioned a few other people, Alex Jones, Malianopolis, but, but you have been banned from, as I understand it, more platforms even than those other two. Right. What is it about Laura Loomer that makes you really the, the ultimate target on, on the right. I mean, if, if someone Googles you, they'll see right. Islamophobe, right-wing provocateur. But there are a lot of people they say that about, right. right? There's a lot of people that have those allegations who don't get kicked off of all of these platforms. Well, you're so not allowed to go after their golden children. And like I said, I really hit a sore spot with them when I uh, was first to expose Ilhan Omar and when I was exposing a lot of the Islamic influence with the big tech social media companies. And uh, when I was banned, uh, the Wall Street Journal actually did an investigative report and found that CARE, which is a designated Islamic terrorist organization, privately lobbied Twitter to ban me. And so the big tech companies 
companies are actually taking orders from radical leftist organizations like the SPLC and full-blown Muslim Brotherhood Hamas-tied terrorist organizations like CARE. And so it's kind of the third rail issue that really gets you banned everywhere when you talk about Islam. You've done counterterrorism yourself, and you know that even just posting facts about it is enough to get you banned. And, you know, they'll call me an Islamophobia, but I like to say that Islamophobia is a made-up word, right? You, a phobia is considered an irrational fear. And as a Jewish woman, when I read the Quran, and, you know, there's mathematical studies that show that there's more Jew hatred in the Quran than Hitler's Mein Kampf, I don't think it's really an irrational fear for me to be critical of Islam. So do any people who are the stalwarts of the First Amendment come to your defense still? Does I'm assuming you haven't gotten a lot of phone calls or, or visits from the ACLU. No. And what about conservatives as well? I mean, there were some, I know some people who've spoken out on behalf of you after getting deplatformed. Yeah. This was the, in, in the first Loomer deplatforming, if you right. will. There are people who spoke out, but have, has anyone said that, or are you seeing rather people come forward now? Not even? really, because there's a lot of guilt by association, and so people are scared of getting canceled themselves because when these, pol when these companies ban you, they also say it's a violation of our terms of service to even associate with these people. So when Michelle Malkin, for example, came to my defense and she posted a photo of me and Gavin McGinnis on her Facebook defending us when we were banned, they threatened to delete her account for just posting a photo of us. Uh, but what has happened to me can and will happen to every other American. I was the first person in the world to predict that President Donald Trump would be banned, and people said it would never happen. So, so let's speak about that, because uh, you're a Florida resident. You're actually running for Congress again mm -hmm. in Florida. There's a new bill to say that you cannot have deplatformed uh, de political candidates. Ron DeSantis assigned this $250,000 fine for statewide office per day, $25,000 for uh, less than state uh, statewide office in right. Florida. Will that help you? No, ironically, it doesn't. Give, even though I am the uh, first deplatformed uh, candidate in United States history and the only deplatformed candidate, uh, the bill is actually not retroactive. And I worked on this legislation. I actually advised uh, Republican lawmakers and Governor DeSantis's team on this legislation, uh, the social media bill SB seven zero seven two. But unfortunately. Uh, the suggestion to make the bill retroactive was not taken into account. And so if President Donald Trump decides to run again in 2024, uh, which rumor has it he will, he will not be protected. And if Governor DeSantis is deplatformed by big tech prior to this bill taking effect on July 1st, he will also not be protected because the bill only applies if you are banned while you are a candidate as opposed to if you are banned even if you are a candidate. And so that's what happened when I filed to run for Congress is I had already been banned and then Twitter and Facebook created new policies to say, well, every single candidate can have social media except Laura Loomer and we're hereby creating a new policy that says if you've been previously banned, you cannot and will never be allowed to have a Facebook or Twitter account. So as somebody who is certainly banned from a lot of places, and as you've said, maybe among the most banned people out there on the right right now, how did you do in your last congressional race in Florida? So I did really well for being the only deplatformed candidate, especially in the middle of a pandemic when you couldn't door knock. I got 40% of the vote in a D plus nine district. I'm honored to say that President Donald Trump endorsed me and he also voted for me. Um, and uh, I got 5% uh, more votes than President Trump did. So I've since filed to run again in District 21 and people can go to my campaign website at lauralumerforcongress.com. Uh, but you know, look, uh, my campaign is a testimony to 
uh, you know, putting in hard work and fighting for a cause you believe in. When I filed to run, I said that my uh, inspiration for running was uh, combating big tech tyranny so that what has happened to me never happens to anyone else. And I, predict, I predicted that big tech was going to steal the election uh, you know, years ago when I confronted Jack Dorsey during the congressional hearing on big tech censorship. And people on the left and the right and the GOP mocked me and said that I would never raise a dime. I ended up outraising all of my opponents combined, including the Democrat incumbent, every single election uh, quarter in a row with zero help from the GOP that's constantly virtue signaling about how much they care about cancel culture. Laura Loomer for Congress next time around. Again, yes. good yes. to see you. Thanks so much for joining us here. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. When we come back, a comic book artist with decades of experience is pushed out of the industry by social justice warriors. The creator of the hit indie comic series Cyberfrog, Ethan Van Skyver, joins us next. Stay right there. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A culture war is being fought on every front and in every medium. That includes comic books. For decades, my next guest worked for DC Comics as an artist on a number of classic titles, including The Flash and Green Lantern. Uh, however, his conservative politics and criticism of social justice eventually drew the ire of some of his co-workers who actively put, uh, worked to push him out of the mainstream comic book industry following the election of Donald Trump. Since 2018, he's been publishing independently, raising millions of dollars through crowdfunding for his own creator-owned properties. Joining me now is the creator of hit indie comic series, Cyberfrog. He's known as the human sunbeam to his fans, comic book artist Ethan Van Skyver. Ethan, thanks so much, man. Good to see you. I'm on the Buck Sexton show. This is a dream come true. Thank you so much. Uh, this, this, uh, this is the best way to start off any interview. You know, you like the show. <laughs> I, like, I like people who like the show. Tell me, man, you spent over two decades in the comic book industry, but you were pushed out of it by, by other professionals. You were effectively canceled. Can you tell us yes. what the heck happened? Oh, well, I mean, everybody knew I was a Republican. I was very uh, proud to be a supporter of, you know, Bush and Mitt Romney and uh, Trump was a bridge too far, apparently. Uh, everybody knew I was a Republican. It was okay. Jokes were made about it. But once Donald Trump won, they wanted me out. Uh, they were so outraged uh, that I voted for the 45th president of the United States uh, and wore a MAGA hat uh, on the on the moment he won on Twitter. I took a nice picture of myself. And that's when the uh, gears began to turn. And I was so naive. I didn't realize that uh, cancel culture was a thing. I had to learn about it first uh, firsthand. What was it like, honestly, to, to be in a, in a creative industry like, like you were and to have established yourself for as many years as you did and then have people that, that wanted to ostracize you, that turned on you? Uh, was, it, was it a surprise or do you feel like you kind of saw it coming? It, no, who could see that coming? I mean, I had people that I thought were my friends and there's tremendous, tremendous peer pressure, uh, you know, when uh, you're about to be canceled for people to join the mob against you. It doesn't pay, it wouldn't pay to stand by me. 
uh, you might as well just turn against uh, turn against your friend uh, and just uh, hope the alligator doesn't eat you next. Uh, so uh, it was it was shocking. It was upsetting. I, I learned who my friends were and weren't, uh, and I knew I had to make a plan uh, if I was going to continue doing what I love to do, which is to make comic books. Uh, so that's uh, that's what I've done. Did did you? Uh, can I, can I ask? To, was there one incident that they? You know, was there one comic you made or one thing you said that they really focused in on to try to get the uh, the pitchforks and the torches out for you? Or was it just, he's a Trumper, get him out? Well, one of the main things that I did that they all thought was great at the time, but then thought was pretty suspicious, was I took Sinestro, who was Hal Jordan's biggest arch enemy. At the time, he was a very silly guy. And since Green Lantern is uh, largely a, a political space opera. I decided to make Sinestro look a little bit more like Hitler and behave like Hitler. And I made no bones about it. I let everyone know Hitler, uh, uh, Sinestro is going to be like Hitler. He's going to be like a fascist dictator in space. Uh, quickly, that character became the second most popular villain in DC's uh, you know, uh, books, They uh, second only to the Joker because of how uh, much uh, weight and gravitas uh, he suddenly had. Uh, but since then, uh, people look back on that and go, you know why he did that, don't you? <laughs> I mean, just crazy, just crazy. So it was really, it was editorial creative decisions that you made that were then put through this lens of, well, you're MAGA, so to speak, so you must be a bad guy, and therefore they're seeing things in work that you were already doing that needed, that, that, that required your cancellation. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think they were looking for any excuse uh, to convince each other that what they were doing was the right thing. And since then, you know, it's yeah, you like didn't even make like a like a an off color joke that guy. Like, I, this is amazing to me. You you got nailed for nothing, but that happens to people too. Cancellation can happen just because they wanted to. Yes, yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah, I think they choose a target and they all get together and they work really hard at getting that person taken out. Uh, just recently, the same thing happened to Gina Carano over uh, at Lucas. Mandalorian. I like the show. I won't watch it. I actually canceled my Disney Plus subscription over that. I did too. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm not going to buy any more Star Wars stuff. I'm not going to go see any of the new movies or anything until they apologize and reinstate her. And I recommend other people uh, do the same thing. We have to punish these people when they get involved in these kind of mob attacks and cancel culture. We have to punish these big corporations. But the same thing that you know uh, happened to uh, me happened to Gina Carano, where uh, suddenly they're scouring her social media feed for things that might have double meanings, uh, and uh, you know getting her essentially fired and destroyed. And then afterwards, they do a really nasty thing. They blame you for it. Uh, I've seen them do that to her too. I you know I they started to say it's because you're lazy and kind of a jerk, and I'm like. So are all of you. You know, it's like this is the comic book industry. Uh, we're all we're all creative people. We're all we can all be described as kind of lazy and kind of jerks. They did the same thing to Gina Carano, who is an absolute angel. It's because she's difficult to work with on the set. That's the real reason. Yeah, no. They, after the fact, justifications are, are all over the place with the cancel culture, especially when they have a really weak case for the cancellation, which they often do. I, I did want to ask you also, Ethan, about. The fact that superheroes, just a more general thing here, are as popular as ever. Superhero comics uh, have actually, however, been on the decline for a, a number of years. Why is that going on? Why are superhero comics going down the tubes? Well, I feel like every time I see a movie trailer, it's another superhero. 
Yeah, I, I've noticed that too. And I think part of the reason is that social justice has uh, invaded the entire comic book industry and creative people uh, are no longer trying to make comic books uh, what they've always been, just kind of subversive, sexy, violent fun. Uh, now, uh, you know, you have to make sure that uh, there is one of every race and ethnicity and sexual persuasion uh, in every comic. Uh, everybody needs to see themselves deliberately represented. They're more concerned um, with uh, uh, progressivism than they are with actually telling good stories. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, I think um, the, uh, the allure of progress uh, progressivism and intersectional feminism uh, is very powerful on, uh, I don't I want to say weak men. Uh, well, I got to tell you, over, over the pandemic, Ethan, I, I rediscovered video games when I was locked up uh, during, you know, during the, uh, the quarantine period and, and during all the, the stay at home orders and stuff. And I, I noticed as somebody that, that works in politics for a living and media for a living. Oh, so now it's the video game industry, too. You know, now at the beginning of a, of a video game about the Vikings, it's this was, you know, diverse LGBT, LGBTQ plus staff approved. I mean, they have these statements of diversity and inclusion. I'm like, the Vikings were, were, were slavers who murdered people all over the, the then known world and tried to steal all their stuff. But I'm glad that it was a diverse group of, anyway, I mean, it's just, this is for, um, I, I can't remember, it's one of the really famous, uh, you know, uh, Assassin's Creed. It was the Assassin's Creed series. Anyway, Obviously, you're, you're, you're getting me uh, going on a few things here. But before uh, we let you go, I wanted to just tell, have you tell everybody that since leaving mainstream comic books, you've actually found incredible success publishing your books independently. Tell us about that, because this is what conservatives, this is what people have got to have to uh, going to have to look to. Yeah, we have to create create our own platforms. We have to build our own stuff. And that's one thing I talk about all the time on my YouTube channel, Comic Artist Pro Secrets, because... Uh, what uh, the left can do is close doors in the mainstream. But what they can't do is they can't stop us from using crowdfunding platforms and social media uh, to actually find each other and build our own stuff. So I started a comic book company called All Caps Comics. Uh, I premiered my first comic book, Cyberfrog Blood Honey, and made uh, over a million dollars. The sequel to that uh, made $1.2 million, and I've just launched Rainbow the Brute, which is my answer to what, uh, you know, feminists have done to boys' toy properties. Uh, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to make uh, masculine versions of girls' toy properties. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Rainbow the Brute, he's going to be fighting some emotionally manipulative bears. He's going to be fighting a tribe of communist elves. Maybe you can find where these, uh, you know, uh, toy properties existed in the 1980s. Uh, there's going to be uh, a group of horses called Mike Gerthy Stallions, uh, and they're going to fight communism as well. It's just going to be an awful lot of fun. And, you know, when you have your own platform, when you have your own comic book company, uh, nobody can tell you no. Uh, and boy, is that fun. Incredibly fun for a creative person. Very cool, man. I've, I, a lot of people work in media dream of creating the pirate ship where they call all the shots. Sounds like that's what you're doing. I'm going to check out your comics, too. Thanks so much, Ethan. Good to have you on. Thank you, Buck. Appreciate it. It's one thing to have your career threatened, but our next guest has been the victim of physical violence by the radical left. Coming up, journalist Andy No joins us to share his story. So what does it mean to be canceled? 
Well, in most cases, it means an individual becomes relentlessly targeted by a digital mob online. They can lose their careers, get deplatformed by big tech companies, even lose access to financial services. As bad as that is, sometimes it goes even further, as the victims can be subjected to actual physical violence. It's exactly what happened to journalist Andy No back in the summer of 2019. While covering protests in Portland, No was viciously assaulted by Antifa rioters. The resulting injuries were enough to send him to the emergency room. Andy No joins us now. He's the author of Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Journalist Andy No. Andy, thanks so much. Of course. Look, I, I know it's probably tough to have to go back there, but people should know the story and they should know what the other side is willing to do, so to speak, when they hear things, when they hear journalism that they don't like or they read it, they see it. What happened that day when you were attacked? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the discussions around cancel culture has been focused on things like people losing access to a social media account or getting fired, and those were serious. But there are physical manifestations of this train of thought and logic which tells um, their followers, and these are people primarily on the left and the far left, that um, you silence your... Uh, opponents by any means necessary. And if you go after their livelihood so that they can't pay their mortgage and can't feed their family, you do that. And if that doesn't work, uh, as in my case, then you try to kill them. So, you know, when I was hospitalized back in 2019, I was diagnosed with the brain hemorrhage. I have been dealing with the consequences from that severe brain injury. So, um, and I'm not the only one. I'm one of many people who have suffered at the hands of far-left extremists who have been given um, the approval, in my view, by uh, commentators and chattering classes who think it's okay to assault people who you disagree with. Andy, in this case, the, the attempt to, if you will, violently cancel you comes from Antifa's desire to, to silence you. What is their explanation for why they have to uh, go after you in this way? Is it merely because you show what they do or do they have a, some other way of trying to rationalize how violence against a journalist is in any way uh, justified? Antifa, like other people on the left, have a belief that some ideas are so dangerous that you can never even discuss it, you can never even broach it. So for me, my accusation uh, is that I expose what the Antifa actually do, which is that it's a violent extremist anti-American ideology that, in my view, carry out terroristic organized acts of crimes. Um, they find that as a threat to them, so um, it needs to be... Um, uh, stifled by any means necessary. And, you know, they build it up. They don't just go straight to violence. They um, first try to get me kicked off social media, try to get me um, banned from being able to write in any publications, uh, showed up at my home. You know, the buildup of intimidation and then the last step was the physical violence, which uh, is consistent with the ideology. And Antifa actually showed up at a bookstore in Portland to intimidate an owner who decided to carry your book. So in essence, trying to cancel your book and, and, its, and its sales at this store. Can you just tell us how this went down? What happened there? 
Yeah, what's really scary, it doesn't, you know, the intimidation doesn't just affect me. Like bookstores who maybe aren't necessarily even in support of what I say or do, but just happen to sell the book. What happened is one of the largest bookstores in Portland was protested for days. Uh, it forced the store to shut down. There was some violence outside. Customers were intimidated. Um, staff were intimidated. This was all caught on camera. So it's, this is the type of culture that um, they, uh, they, this is what they do. And they're unfortunately supported by a wider mainstream left culture, which uh, views that, I mean, that my book shouldn't, shouldn't be stocked anywhere. I mean, it's not just Antifa who try to get my book banned. There's many just regular left-wing people. Um, and I mean, this is the problem of when you have cultural dominance by the left in all these institutions in, in aspects and in parts of government as well, is that there's nothing really, there's no incentive for them to moderate or to um, be balanced. Uh, just pushing further and further with an agenda and if it involves violence or turning a blind eye to violence, that's the other thing, they'll do that. And Andy, in addition to the violence, what kind of repercussions have there been for, for you personally and professionally since you've decided to focus your attention on showing the American people what Antifa really is? Um, the constant character assassinations. Um, back in 2019, after I was beaten, that was the first time a lot of people had heard about me. So then all these hit pieces came out repeating lies. Um, and when these lies failed to take me down, then, you know, every six months or so, there come the knives come out again to try to finish off um, what they started before. So it's unfortunate that um, myself just trying to do reporting on the far left and extremists on the far left, I'm constantly having to deal with um, defamatory and libelous things that are coming out by so-called other journalists um, who, I mean, because journalists, you know, all we have is like credibility, right? So that's what they try to go for. And if they can't do that, then they'll... Is, is there just no solidarity with you, Andy, from other from other journalists out there in general? I mean, obviously there are conservative media people. I'm having you on the show. But are, are more corporate media types, uh, corporate media journalist types saying that, that it's, you know, usually if, if somebody who is a journalist is attacked covering a protest or anything like that, it's news. But it seems like there's a, a, a lack of, of interest in it when Antifa is attacking people like you. Yes, or if BLM is carrying out acts of violence, even against mainstream journalists. Um, this is what I mean. It's like the, the cultural dominance of like the rules now is set that you can't be critical of the far left. And if you dare to, your, your job, your credibility, your livelihood is at risk. And you know... Appreciate your bravery, your good work, and everyone should check out your book, Unmasked. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Social media companies are often at the forefront of cancel culture. Mike Evans, who until recently ran one of the largest pro-Israel Facebook pages, knows all too well the power big tech has to silence conservatives. He'll join us when we return.
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. Over the past several years, it has become increasingly clear that the woke mob has a willing partner in social media giants like Facebook and Twitter. Both companies frequently buckle under pressure from social justice advocates and target conservatives and conservative organizations for cancellation. That's exactly what happened to Mike Evans. Up until recently, Mike Evans ran a pro-Israel Facebook page called Jerusalem Prayer Team, a page that had over 76 million followers, making it the largest pro-Israel group in the world. On May, 4, uh, May 15th, according to Evans, Facebook deleted the page without warning or notice, claiming the page was littered with hate and spam. Mike Evans joins us now. Mike, thank you so much. Tell us exactly what happened leading up to the May 15th deletion of the Jerusalem Prayer Team page from Facebook. Well, a dozen evangelical leaders, Mike Huckabee, John Void, Pat Boone, um, uh, Gordon Robertson of CBN, um, Jack Graham, Robert Jeffers, major players, Franklin Graham. We were doing an event in Jerusalem for the war to pray for the end of the war and for the protection of the innocent. Facebook shut it down. We were going live to 77 million people throughout the world. I didn't know what was going on. I found out from our team that Facebook permitted over 850,000 hate the Jews post come in in one day Wednesday, another day Thursday, another day Friday. It was the biggest dump of hate mail ever in Facebook's history. They didn't stop it. And by the way, on every comment was the picture of the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu and Mike Evans. And it was F the Jews, Hitler should have killed them all, over 2.1 million. And then Facebook says, you did it. You put them on your own site, you spammed your site, you're, you're off forever. That's, a, that's, a, that's astonishing. So essentially, your page was the target of hateful, anti-Semitic trolls on the internet, and then your page was held responsible for the content that they were posting there? Is that how this went? Israeli intelligence told me who did it. The gentleman's out of Jordan. He's bringing it brought it to Al Jazeera. It was a cyber attack on Facebook on Facebook on a cyber attack. They dump these hate messages into Facebook. If you're on Facebook and you post five hate messages, they'll shut your count down. 2,100,000 permitted. And then we get slammed. Unbelievable. Were you, were you able to appeal this? I mean, could you object to their shutdown decision? Was there some process they gave you to try to make your case? How, how did that go? They have a process, it's called 40 years in the desert. Um, we, we, the, the foreign ministry of Israel is appealing it, is, is the ministry of defense of Israel. The US Commerce Department is communicating with them. They are caught dead. They know exactly what they did. Listen, I'm not an attorney, but in my opinion, it's fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud. The Muslims were royally hacked at them so they offered us up as ransom for Muslim rage over the Al-Aqsa Mosque and over Gaza. Now, you mentioned the legal, act or legal side of this. You're planning on filing a lawsuit 
in Florida under Governor Ron DeSantis's new bill regarding censorship and big tech. We'll what be- can you tell us about the status of that and where you're hoping this will go? Tell you that we have three of the biggest attorneys in the nation, the three uh, the amigos that Zuckerberg, the ones he would never want to mess with, will be involved in this. We'll have a press conference with the governor the first day that it's it, and we're not following one, we're following about six lawsuits. One of them is a lawsuit for 10 cents, a person per day, 77 million times 10 cents damages per day. But we're gonna follow about six different major lawsuits with one of the biggest powerful legal teams in the nation. Uh, They're all household names. You'll know it when you see it. And what are you hoping will come from that lawsuit? Well, number one, Mark Zuckerberg owes me and the Prime Minister of Israel an apology and the State of Israel apology and my Jerusalem prayer team members apology. Number one. Secondly, he needs to restore our site. Thirdly, he needs to compensate us for the damages he willfully did or Facebook willfully did. Now, maybe he was asleep for three days and he didn't know what was happening. I do know he had 200 Palestinian Facebook employees write him a letter protesting that he wasn't showing enough sympathy for Hamas and the Palestinians. So we're going to get to the facts. I'm asking senators to investigate this and write him letters, haul his little behind behind hearings under oath with Mike Evans, and let's get the truth out. Thanks so much for joining us, Mike. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this special edition of Hold the Line. I'd like to thank my guests, Laura Loomer, Ethan Van Skyver, Andy No, and Mike Evans for sharing their experiences with us. Thanks for watching, and as always, Shields high.